Let's turn our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For us to really appreciate Romans chapter 8, it is critical for us to understand what took place in chapters 6 and 7, what chapters 6 and 7 were all about. In chapter 6, Paul argued that union with Christ, that is to say identification with him in his death and resurrection, affords the believer power over sin. In chapter 7, his point was that this union with Christ frees the believer from the law. And here in Romans 8, Paul sets forth a comprehensive range of blessings that accrue to the believer in Christ in consequence of having been set free from the power of sin and the bondage of the law. And a noticeable feature in Romans 8 is the prominence, the emphasis that's given to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a very much neglected person. In our time, and the extreme to that is that some overemphasize the Holy Spirit to the point of being heretical. Paul in this chapter dwells at length on the Holy Spirit. He shows the importance of the Holy Spirit, both in terms of the inception of the Christian life and the continuation and end of the Christian life. What are some of the things then that Paul has to say? about the Holy Spirit, and we'll be going through these in the weeks ahead. First of all, verses 1 through 13, the Spirit affords us freedom from sin. The Spirit affords us freedom from sin, and there are two aspects of this freedom that the Spirit provides. One, we see in verses 1 to 3 that the Spirit affords freedom from sin's condemnation, Two, we see in verses 4 through 13 that the Spirit affords freedom from sin's control. Alternatively, we could put it like this. Through the Holy Spirit, there is, on the one hand, freedom from the penalty of sin. And on the other hand, freedom from the power of sin. Second, we see here in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit affords us favor as the sons of God. The Spirit affords us favor as the sons of God. He not only affords us freedom from sin, but he affords us favor as sons of God, verses 14 through 17. Thirdly, verses 18 through 27, the Spirit affords us fortitude in suffering. He affords us fortitude in suffering. And then in verses 31 through 39, the Spirit affords us fullness of security. We'll be going through these in the weeks ahead. Indeed, from verses 14 through 27, the Spirit is clearly set forth as a person and not as some abstract force. It is clear in reading Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit 
is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Trinity is in fact God, which means that like Father and the Son, he is to be honored and worshipped. And here in Romans chapter 8 then, we see that as God, the Holy Spirit is the one who powerfully works in and through believers, through the children of God, guiding them, strengthening them, sanctifying them so as to bring them into the fullness of God's saving purposes for them. As we contemplate over the next few weeks then, the work of the Holy Spirit here in Romans chapter 8, let's consider first of all this morning the truth that the Holy Spirit frees us from sin's condemnation. The Holy Spirit frees us from sin's condemnation. After discussing the harrowing conflict and frustration of trying to live under the law, which frustration ended with the cry, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer to which question was, God through Jesus Christ, O Lord, chapter 7 and verse 25, Paul here in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, continues with a beaming, buoyant declaration, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But notice in verse 2, and here's where the Holy Spirit comes in, in terms of the Holy Spirit freeing us from condemnation, notice that in verse 2, with regard to this new state of affairs, namely the absence of condemnation, this new state is linked to none other than the Holy Spirit. We read, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Question is, what is this condemnation that is being referred to here in verse 1? The Greek word that Paul uses here for condemnation refers not only to a verdict of guilt, but to the pronouncement of punishment. And in view of the guilt of sin that has fallen on all humanity, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 23, this condemnation of which Paul speaks concerns, number one, God's present disposition of wrath toward the unsaved, toward those who are not believing on Christ as Savior. I need to say this, that this is not a popular teaching, but it is clearly taught in the Word of God. The Word of God does speak of a present condemnation upon those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. This condemnation is not reserved for when one dies in sin. This condemnation is, in fact, a present reality. In fact, our Lord Jesus clearly declared this when he stated in John chapter 3, 17 and 18, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might believe. Here's verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only Son of God. So this condemnation is a present condemnation. Indeed, Romans chapter 1 verse 18 clearly says this, suggests this, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This condemnation of which Paul speaks refers as well to the future infliction of divine wrath, divine retribution, and all who have persisted in their unsaved, unregenerate condition. It will involve, sad to say, their being eternally separated from God, from the presence of God, from the favor of God, 
and their consignment to what Revelation 20 verse 15 describes as the lake of fire, which is the second death. So this condemnation, we would say, is both present and eschatological. It is both a present reality and it is a future reality as well that awaits the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, at which time God's wrath will be poured out on those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. The teaching of our text this morning is this, that through the saving work of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That condemnation no longer exists. The question, however, is this, for whom is this blessing reserved? And in the verse I just quoted, the answer is given. Bear in mind that this saving blessing of no condemnation is not an automatic blessing. It is not for everyone indiscriminately. This particular blessing, notice the particular recipients, the privileged beneficiaries of freedom from divine condemnation. Who are they? Verse 1b, they are distinctively referred to as those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus, that's a synonym for whom? For believers. For believers. For those who have placed faith and trust in Christ as Savior, believing on him, looking away from their own goodness, looking away from all else, trusting in him completely, all who have done that are in Christ Jesus, according to the word of God. In contrast to such, unbelievers, those who are not saved, are outside of Christ, expressed in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, as being separated from God, and in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, as being alienated from the life of God and not being in Christ. They are therefore, according to Ephesians 2 and verse 1, dead in trespasses and sins. Well, what does it mean to be in Christ? You are saved this morning. The word of God says you are in Christ, but what does that mean? In Christ is one of Paul's favorite expressions. In fact, here in Romans chapter 8, he uses the expression, the phrase, in Christ as many as 13 times. And this phrase, in Christ, signifies at least four things. Number one, the expression in Christ speaks of the believer's solidarity or union with Christ. When we talk about union with Christ, we are saying this based on the teaching of the word of God. From God's reckoning, God's standpoint, God's viewpoint, when Christ died, God sees us as having died with him. When Christ rose from the dead, he reckons us, he regards us as having risen with Christ. That's what union with Christ means. Along this line, Matthew Poole says of this expression, in Christ, this phrase, he says, imports that there is a mystical and spiritual union betwixt Christ and believers. This is sometimes expressed by Christ being in them, and here by their being in Christ. Christ is in believers by his spirit, and believers are in Christ by faith, end quote. So the expression means, first of all, solidarity with Christ or union with Christ. But second, the expression in Christ speaks of the believer's security. Paul mentioned the phrase in Christ. Notice verse 1 here, Romans chapter 8, as well as the last verse of Romans chapter 8, as he taught about the security of the believer in Christ. He says the security which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's security. Thirdly, the expression in Christ speaks of the believer's sufficiency. It speaks of the believer's sufficiency. It speaks of what Colossians chapter 2 verse 10 speaks of the believer as being complete in him. Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians, and you are complete in him. The Gnostics were saying, well, you need revelation, you need experience. Paul says, no, 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 Christ is sufficient. You are complete in him. Being in Christ, it speaks of our sufficiency. Indeed, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings, with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In what realm? In Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 teaches that in Christ, Christ has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Everything that you and I would exhibit by way of the fruits of righteousness, by way of wisdom, by way of redemption, here's the thing, all this derives from Christ. In fact, regarding the wealth of completeness, of the sufficiency of, that is ours in Christ, someone puts it like this, in Christ we have love that can never be fathomed, life that can never die, Union that can never be severed. Righteousness that can never be tarnished. Peace that can never be understood. Joy that can never be diminished. Hope that can never be disappointed. Glory that can never be clouded. Light that can never be darkened. Purity that can never be defiled. Beauty that never can never be marred. Wisdom that can never be baffled. Resources that can never be exhausted. Being in Christ speaks of our sufficiency, that we are complete in him. Everything we need for faith and godliness is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the term speaks of the believer's solidarity or union with Christ. It speaks of the believer's security. It speaks of the believer's sufficiency. But fourthly, the term in Christ speaks of the believer's status in relation to the Father. The Word of God suggests that being in Christ brings us, it brings us believers in Christ into deep, intimate fellowship with the Father, such as Jesus the Son has with the Father. Do you know the Word of God teaches that? The fact that we are in Christ, God reckons us a great deal the same way in which he regards his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Read, for example, Jesus' own prayers, high priestly prayers set forth in John 17, particularly verses 21 to 23. Listen to him praying to his Father that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that... You have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, watch this, and love them as you love me. In fact, down in chapter 8, verse 18, and we'll come to that here in the book of Romans, we learn that as children of God, those who are saved are what? Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So the question is, yes, we have considered what it means to be in Christ, but the question is, being in Christ, why is there no condemnation to us? Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ? And our text suggests at least three reasons. 
First of all, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, listen, because they are governed by a new law. They are governed by a new law. Remember last week we were talking about what the law does. The law kills. The law aggravates sin. The law spikes sin. The law heightens transgression. The law brings out the worst in us. And because of that, because it's proven that we are guilty, not only guilty, but we are totally incapable, unable to keep the law, therefore the sentence of death is upon us. Well, Paul is suggesting here that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they are governed by a new law. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says there, there's therefore no not condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit, not the Mosaic law, a new law kicks in, a new law by which believers in Christ are governed. This word law signifies an authority or operating principle. And as such, the law of the Spirit connotes the rule, the authority of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who are in Christ. Paul is saying here that those who are in Christ are under a new authority. They're governed by a new principle. There's no condemnation for such. Why? Because they are under an entirely new system of governance, namely the authority and direction of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul is going to develop this point of concerning those who are led by the Spirit of God. We're going to see that in ensuing weeks. Now, this new law, this new principle or system of rule in the believer called the law of the Spirit, notice it is described in Romans chapter 7 verse 6 as the new way of the Spirit. The new way of the Spirit. We are under new administration, new law, new principle, and this new way of the Spirit stands in stark contrast to what Paul speaks also of in Romans chapter 7 verse 6 as the old way of the written code. He's alluding there to what? The Mosaic law. Paul is saying we're no longer under the old Mosaic law. The old Mosaic law works condemnation. It incites wrath. It brings us the sentence of death, condemnation. But here's the truth. He says we are under new governance. We are under not the Mosaic law, but the law of the Spirit. We are under the new way of the Spirit. Second, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul suggests why not only because they are governed by a new law. But look at the A part of verse 2. They are gifted with a new way of life. Paul says there in verse 2, for the law, and here's how he qualifies that law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The reason there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul is saying, is because they have been granted life from God. They have been granted divine life. That's what we call eternal life. Now, I need to point out to you, because it depends on what version you read, and that's why it's good to read differing versions, because there's absolutely no perfect version. We need to read different versions, because language, grammar is everything when we're reading Scripture. And based on the Greek text, there's a big question as to whether the word life in verse 2 is descriptive of the Spirit, in which case Paul is characterizing the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life, or is the word life related to Christ Jesus, in which case Paul is laying emphasis on the fact that there is life in Christ Jesus. 
The King James Version puts it like this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The NIV reverses that, as you as you'll see in your ESV. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. What is life going with? Is it qualifying spirit, the spirit of life? Or is life going with Christ Jesus, whereby what is being emphasized is that there is life in Christ Jesus. We can't be dogmatic. We can't be sure of Paul's intended meaning here. But let me say this. Whether Paul is referring to the spirit of life or whether he is referring to life in Christ, this much is clear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because, one, of life imparted by the spirit, or two, because of life that inheres in the Lord Jesus Christ. Any way we take it, we win. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for believers in Christ because they've been granted a new life. No longer are they dead in trespasses and sins. No longer do they stand under the condemnation of the law. No longer are they pronounced guilty and guilty of death. But they have been granted a new life. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Paul says, is a reason there's no condemnation. And then thirdly, notice in verse 2 as well, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through the Spirit, they are grounded in a new liberty. They are grounded in a new liberty. Here's what Paul says. For the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free. We have a new life. We have a new law. We have a new liberty. Through the Spirit. That's why we don't have condemnation. What is meant by the law of sin and death? Again, scholars are divided as to what precisely Paul means. I've always taken it to mean the Mosaic law. Some will say otherwise that what Paul is doing here, Paul is using the word in a generic sense in terms of principle. And here's the reason why, without being dogmatic, I think that he's referring to the Mosaic law. Because one, in light of Paul's statement in Romans 7, to the effect that the law occasioned by sin brought forth death. Romans 7, 5, and 10. Paul may well then have been referred to the Mosaic law as the law of sin and death because it is a law that is associated with condemnation. It is a law that pronounces sin. It is a law that invokes the penalty of death. Indeed, as a ministry of condemnation because that's how it's described in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 9 the Mosaic law is characterized as a ministry of condemnation and as a ministry of condemnation the law as a ministry of death kills 2 Corinthians 3 verses 6 and 7 teaches the letter kills but the spirit gives life that's why it is the law of sin and death and praise God beloved from this law we have been released we have been set free because this was a law which we could not keep, according to Acts 7, verse 53. This was a law which only served as an unbearable yoke of bondage, Acts chapter 15 and verse 10. We needed freedom. We needed to be set free from this law which we could not keep, which would never keep. As we heard last week, Paul saying in Romans 7, 5, and 6, For while we were still living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, here's what he says, We are released 
from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the happy, blessed experience, the happy, blessed lot of all who have come to faith and trust in Christ as Savior. Through the liberating power of the Holy Spirit, the believer, the Word of God teaches, is made free in Christ, free from the dominating power of sin, free from spiritual death that it incurs. Recall the words of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32, as he called attention to the freedom that's to be found in him. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The question is, and we keep asking questions this morning and answering, very important, the question is, how are they in Christ set free from the law of sin and death? Look at verses 3 and 4. We read there, For God has done what the law could not do. Weakened by the flesh, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is saying here, that we have been liberated from the law through Christ in consequence of the incarnation and the crucifixion. He's saying here that through the sacrificial offering up of the body on the cross, the body of our Lord Jesus, he paid in full the penalty they had incurred, you and I had incurred, for having broken God's holy law. As we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Our Lord Jesus, here's what he did with the law. He came to this earth. That's the incarnation. He lived for 33 years. He went to the cross. And here's the point. He was obedient to the point of death. He was obedient to the law in every respect. And he not only obeyed the law actively, but he obeyed the law passively. He obeyed the law actively in terms of his obedience throughout his life. And he obeyed the law passively by paying the penalty of sin which the law demanded. In Romans 7 verse 4, Paul declared to the Christians at Rome regarding their being freed from the law. He says then, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. Again, a reference to the bodily substitutionary atoning work of the Lord Jesus. What glorious news of the gospel. The fact that what we could never have done for ourselves, Paul says, our text says, God did by sending his son and by his son offering up himself on the cross, what our Lord Jesus did, he condemned sin in the flesh, the very condemnation that you and I deserve for having broken that law. He suffered condemnation, and on top of that, he condemned sin in his own flesh through death. And the purpose of that, he tells us, was to fulfill in us the righteous requirement of God. Indeed, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation. That's God's verdict as a holy, righteous judge of heaven. That's how God regards us. And the reason he regards us, my friends, is that in consequence of what Jesus has done, he sees us not in our guilty state, but he sees us as Christ is. He sees us donning the very righteousness of Christ. Now here's something that should really thrill our hearts as we come to a close this morning. Something that should really thrill our hearts and fill our lips with praise, with gratitude to God. You say, what is that? And by way of practical application, it is this. If God does not condemn those who are in Christ Jesus, then first of all, what that means is that we should not condemn ourselves. We should not condemn ourselves. You say, what in the world are you talking about? We should not condemn ourselves. Listen, you know very well, and isn't it true, that there are those dark moments, we can call them depressing moments, when Satan and his minions assail us with all kinds of doubts and fears concerning our sins, past sins, and even present sins. And in those dark moments, he will even get us to doubt our standing with God, to question our assurance, are we really, truly saved? Listen, our own conscience may be laden with guilt. In fact, others knowing our sins and failures might even condemn us as hypocrites, as being not for real. And we can be made guilty just by that. Our own hearts will condemn us. People looking on will condemn us. They'll call us hypocrites. But here's the truth of our text. God issues a verdict of not guilty, of no condemnation with respect to those who are in Christ. Here's the point. Not on the basis of their performance in godliness, but on the grounds of their position in Christ That is why, my friends, we cannot, listen, we must examine ourselves, right? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. But there is a way in which we can examine ourselves to see in the faith and end up defeated, end up depressed, end up distressed. Why? Because if we keep looking there, we are going to end up in despair. I didn't plan that rhyme. That's a moment of inspiration. If we keep looking there, we will end up in despair. It was Robert Moore McShaney who said something to the effect. Every time you look, you take at your heart, take 10, take 15 to look at Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of God. For consider him, the writer of Hebrews says, Secondly, if God does not condemn those who are in Christ Jesus, then here's what also follows. It also means that not even the forces of hell, no, not even all the demons, Satan and his cohorts can effectively condemn us. Our consciences may condemn us, our friends, people looking on, our neighbors may condemn us, but God has Pass a verdict by virtue, not of our performance in godliness, but by virtue of our position in Christ, no condemnation. Why? Because we have expressed faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. 
My friends, we can be absolutely sure of that. Listen to these assuring words of Paul, the apostle, in verses 31, 33, 34. Paul concludes Romans chapter 8, and we're going to come back to this portion. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified, yes, who died and rose again. And he's at the right hand of God, the implication of which is this, that we can't be condemned because Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and he's right now interceding for us. What with all our weaknesses, our sins, our failings. That's what the word of God says. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what's most comforting, what's most interesting as we look at verses 38 through 39, not only is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, verse 1 but there's no separation from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You see how Christ is very important? It's not how we feel, beloved. It's not what we think, beloved. It is not the, the feelings of guilt we have. Yes, if we have the feelings of guilt and we, have, we feel terrible, here's the wonderful truth. We can always run back to the cross. We can always look to Christ. What assuring words. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This is the kernel of the gospel. This is what makes the gospel such wonderful, glorious, great news that it is celebrating this blessed reality of freedom from sin's condemnation. The famed preacher and hymn writer of the 18th century, Charles Wesley, penned these lyrics. Here's what he says, and with this we close. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eyes diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread, Jesus, and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. The question this morning then is, there is therefore no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The question is, are you in Christ? Because here's the point. The question is not whether you are near Christ or almost in Christ. The question is whether you are in, because here's the point. There are only two options. Either you are in Christ or you are outside of Christ. Every single person this morning here, as well as by way of Zoom, we are either in Christ or we are outside of Christ. And outside of Christ means this. It means condemnation. It means wrath. It means eternal death, eternal separation from God. But the good news of the gospel is this. In Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. You say, how do we get in Christ? Through faith in him. That if you will confess with your mouth, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, man believes and is righteous. May God bless these truths to our hearts for his name's sake. Amen.